Thank you, Travis and Michael and the whole team for setting the stage for us today, getting our hearts and minds focused on where they need to be. And I want to say welcome to all of you friends. It's so good to be able to come into the house of the Lord and worship together. And um, how many of you are amped up about Christmas? Anybody here amped up about Christmas? About maybe half of you and the other half are like, hey, yeah. I was talking to some college students who are getting ready to go home this week uh, to, to be back home and and they're pretty excited, you know, get home and get some of that good old home cooking. Is there anybody else that's headed home for the holidays? Anybody around? Okay, I see a couple of folks out there. Um, how many of you have gotten all your shopping done? Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Isn't it, isn't it exciting to go into the store and, you know, be able to barely walk through an aisle and, and go shopping? Uh, isn't that great? Uh, I'm not even close to being here. And here's a gift we just see right here. Dean. Hey, brother. <laughs> Dean's been in the hospital, for those of you that don't know him, uh, but we're glad that he's here today. You know, we've been talking about the Christmas season and uh, the, the good feelings that a lot of people have about the season. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. The decorations and the lights and the trees and the music and the movies and the parades. And how many of you went to the parade yesterday? I saw, I saw some pictures of folks. Um, and all the parts of the, the, the things that make it just sort of a magical feeling. Um, in this series called The Best Part... We've been looking at some of those parts of the season that we enjoy. We've talked about the decorating of the trees. Have all of y'all already done all the decorating? Some of y'all had that stuff done before Thanksgiving. I don't understand it. Um, but, uh, and we learned that the best part of the things as we consider them has sort of a deeper spiritual aspect to them. For instance, like the trees, we talked about the first week of the series, and as we look at the tree, don't just think about, you know, the lights and the pretty decorations and those things, but think about that tree that was made into a manger that our Lord Jesus was placed in when he was born. Think about the tree that was made into a cross where he hung when he was uh, he carried all of our sins. The parades can remind us of that caravan of worshipers who many, many years ago sought to find a new baby king. And when they found him, they bowed down and worshiped him. Today, we're going to think about gifts. Now, let's be honest. The giving and the receiving of gifts has become a major part of the Christmas tradition. Uh, we have programmed our kids, and we've been programmed ourselves, I think, <clears throat> to think that this is what Christmas is all about, uh, them getting a toy for Christmas. We wrap their gifts, we stick them under the tree, or we hide them somewhere in the house. How many of you have kids that want to find out before Christmas what they're getting. Anybody here have that happen? And do they go and they, they pick out the boxes and they look through them and they try to figure, if they see their name on it, they're shaking it. 
You know, some uh, kids even have figured out how to peel the tape back and, you know, open up that thing and then rewrap it so nobody will ever know. You know, the anticipation is there. Uh, maybe some of you have come up with some ingenious ways of keeping them from sneaking a peek, maybe hiding the boxes somewhere. Uh, I ended up writing names, uh, not writing the names on the boxes. I came up with a code for each person in the family. So I just put a number or a letter on the box so they'd have no clue. Who is this for? Who is that for? And uh, then they wouldn't mess up every box. But what we have taught our kids is that Christmas is all about them getting stuff. And we haven't taught them enough about the greatest gift that could have ever been given to them, which isn't a man-made gift at all. And I would bet that it would be hard for you to pinpoint the best gift you've ever received in terms of a man-made gift. Um, could you think of one or two, just think right now, what, what are the one or two best gifts, man-made gifts, that you've ever gotten in your life? And, and just jot those things on your bulletin outline this morning. What, what's the one or two? I don't see anybody writing anything. I don't know whether that means you can't remember that far back, or maybe you never got, I know, coal, Dennis. Coal, wasn't it? You got coal for Christmas. Um, so, you know, just think about the, the, the best man-made gift you ever got. Um, and I want you to ask a question. Why is it that that gift stands out? What is it about it? Was it something that you had seen in a catalog? You know, growing up, we had the Sears and Roebuck. Anybody have that when you were growing up? Sears, and you would just leave to, oh, and they make these things look so good. You know, that electronic football set. I've got to have, oh, please, you bring that to me. And, and you look through, and, and maybe like that kid in the movie, A Christmas Story. Anybody like that movie? You watch that movie, A Christmas Story? You, you might become obsessed with this one toy or gift. You remember he wanted that Red Rider BB gun. Anybody here have a Red Rider BB gun growing up? Okay, you'll shoot your eye out with that, you know. Um, but he wanted it so much he dreamed about it, right? So as you think about that one or two gifts that you got, was it special because of who gave it to you? Or was it special because of its monetary value, what was it? Whatever it was, you felt blessed when you got it. Now, maybe that's not the word you would use, but to feel blessed means to feel pleasure, contentment, or to, to feel like you've had good fortune. And a great gift is always going to make its recipients feel blessed. Would you agree with me on that? Now, it may have nothing to do with the value of the gift. It might have everything to do with who gave you that gift. It's a little hard to nail down exactly what it is. But as we think about the best part of the season of giving, we're reminded of the best gift that any of us has ever been given, we've ever received, and it is the gift of Jesus.
He is God's gift to us. Now the problem is that we can become so focused on the giving and receiving of man-made gifts that we lose our focus on the best gift. And so today, I, I want us to look back at that first Christmas. Now, of course, they didn't call it Christmas. Y'all got that, right? And it probably wasn't, and I don't want to really disappoint anybody, but it probably wasn't even in December, okay? It's probably more like May when Jesus was born. They didn't really keep a great record of births. They did a much better job of keeping records of deaths back then. But as we look back at that original Christmas story, we're going to be reminded of the best part of giving. And the big idea today is that God's gift of Jesus is the greatest gift ever given or received. And therefore, He is the best part of the giving season. Now, in that original Christmas story, we find several gifts that are given and received. And remember now, a gift is a blessing. A gift is something that is willingly and freely given. I mean, if it has to be coerced, if you have to make somebody feel guilty about it, it's not even a gift, right? Uh, we don't earn it. We don't necessarily deserve it. So let's see how God blessed the people in the original Christmas. And as we think about the gifts in the Christmas story, first of all, let's consider the gifts given to Jesus. Now, as far as I can tell, there's only one time in the gospel narrative where someone gave Jesus a gift. We learned about that last week as we considered that long caravan or parade of worshipers who came to find Jesus. I want us to look back real quick at that this morning because Jesus received a gift from the Magi. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In Matthew 2, we learn that these wise men from the east learned of a new king of the Jews, that he was being born. So they traveled to welcome him into the world. As far as we know, <coughs> they had no idea that Jesus was much more than a king. Did they know he was the Son of God? Did they know he was the Messiah? I don't think so. But they did know he was special and unique. They knew that because of the way they learned about him. You see, they had followed a star that led them all the way to him. Now, I don't think that's a normal kind of thing. Do you? I mean, it doesn't happen every day. And so it was a special and unique thing that they had witnessed. And they were so excited about this that they traveled about 900 miles to find and worship him. And we learned that they did just that. They arrived at the house where they found Mary and the baby and they bowed down and worshiped him. And after that, the scripture says in verse 11 of Matthew 2, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there are those who have spiritualized these gifts. And I would guess that, you know, people could be correct about 
what they're guessing the gold represented or the frankincense represented or the myrrh represented. But let's be honest here today. The Bible never records the reason these particular gifts were given. So without getting into the suppositions about what these gifts meant, let's just think about what they were. They were very expensive gifts. They were gifts that more often than not would have been given to someone in, the, in that person's same social status, if you will. They wouldn't be given to poor, common folks. They were very valuable then. These were physical, monetary gifts. Remember that the Magi did not know Jesus nor his family. And I, I, I think we would normally think you, you don't give expensive gifts like that to people you don't know. They weren't family. They weren't even royal or powerful people. But the Magi knew that there was something special about this baby, and they wanted to worship him. And so the gifts were a part of that worship. These are the gifts given to Jesus. But they weren't all the gifts that were given or received on that first Christmas. Remember that a gift is when we do something or give something that makes the other person feel blessed. So the other gifts that I see in the narrative are all found in Luke chapter 2. They were not monetary gifts, but they did make the recipients feel blessed. So let's turn over to Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and consider the gifts given through Jesus. In Luke 2, we understand that each of these gifts came through the person of this baby. Each person who received the gift was blessed by it. So let's think about all the people that were blessed by the gift of Jesus. First of all, we'd have to say Mary, right? For Mary, she received a son. Now, we know that Mary was young when she learned that she was going to be a mother. <clears throat> Most historians and theologians believe she was probably about 14 years old. An angel came to her and told her she was going to give birth to a son, and this was very surprising to her. She knew at least enough to know, hey, this is not really possible because she had never been with a man. She wasn't married. But the angel informed her that this was going to be done through the Holy Spirit. And so as the time drew near, Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem to register in a census. Now, how many mothers do we have in here? Any moms? So how would you like to travel those roads back then when you were like nine months pregnant? I mean, whoa, that's a lot to ask. But they did it. So we read... In verse 1, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census <coughs> that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, being able to produce a son meant that Mary would be taken care of for the rest of her life. In that culture, the value of a woman would have been all about producing a son or an heir. Now, today that may seem strange to us, but in that day, that was the normal way of thinking. How many mothers, again, raise your hands real high. How many moms do we have in here? Raise them up. I know you're proud. Uh, uh, Only you can know what feelings Mary must have been having as the birth of her firstborn drew near. Of course, most of your children were born in very sanitary conditions in a hospital, right? Uh, nobody born on the side of the road, right? Uh, uh, that, that's possible. <clears throat> but most, most of our children have doctors and nurses, epidurals, <laughs> birthing coaches, husbands that don't know what they're doing. But you probably had a soft bed and and hopefully a car to get you there in plenty of time. But I imagine there were many of the same thoughts going into the birth. Thoughts of, am I really ready for this? Did any of you moms think about that? Am I really ready? (laughs) After nine months, I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't care whether I'm ready or not. You know, I'm ready to have this baby. But thoughts of, I hope I can do this right. Maybe even feelings of inadequacy with the first child. Maybe thoughts like, I'm barely able to take care of myself, and now i got to take care of this baby. But also, and hopefully, thoughts where you were excited and you had great anticipation. I'm going to be a mother. I can't wait to see this child who's been in my belly all these months. I want to meet him or her. What will they be like? Of course, Mary had the added pressure of knowing that this was the Son of God. I mean, that would be a little pressure, wouldn't you think? There had to be some stress associated with that. And then there being no room in the inn and having to go into the animal stall for the birth I would think even in that culture, that seems a little extreme. But then he's born, and he's a beautiful baby. Everything happened just as the angel had told them it would happen. What a blessing. What a gift. God had chosen Mary. Out of all the women in the world, she would bear and rear his son. Now, after the visit of the shepherds, the narrative tells us in Luke 2, 19, but Mary treasured up all these things 
and pondered them in her heart. I want to ask you, do you feel like Mary felt blessed? How many of you think she was? Oh, yes. What a gift Jesus was in her life. But Mary wasn't the only one to receive a gift that night. Think about the gift for the shepherds. To see angels and the Messiah with their own eyes. Now, we have to understand that a shepherd's life was fairly mundane. You wake up with the sheep. You herd them to the water. You take them down to the pasture to graze. Possibly, from time to time, you know, have the excitement of chasing off some predator. I imagine they sort of wished they'd have more predators come around. Maybe you would have to round up a stray sheep or two because, you know, sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. But in terms of truly exciting, out-of-the-ordinary things, shepherds were often the last to know what's going on. I mean, they're normally out there in the fields. They come back to town, oh, man, you really missed it, you know, until the birth of Jesus. And in that case, they, the lowly shepherds, were the first to know outside of Mary and Joseph. So let's go to Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, what? Terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we get that picture. They were out doing what they normally do, watching their sheep. Maybe some of them were stargazing. It would have to be a boring job, right? Some may have been maybe dozing off a little bit, but in the middle of that ordinary night, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but if an angel of the Lord appears out of the blue to me, I'm probably going to have to change my pants, okay? Y'all know what I'm saying, all right? Y'all know what I'm saying. My first reaction would be fear, which in fact was their reaction. In fact, the word terrified literally means to be put to flight. In other words, they're thinking, where am I going to, I'm, I'm getting out of here, you know. They're about to run, scatter to the winds. But the angel tells them, don't, don't worry. And he explained to them what was about to happen 
which in my mind is really mind-blowing. Just think about it. A heavenly emissary <coughs> comes to these lower caste shepherds and reveals to them that God's son is being born. Now, as far as we know, the angel did not go and announce anything to the religious leaders. He didn't announce anything to the royal family. But he went to these poor shepherds. And after he announced this, suddenly he was joined by a heavenly chorus praising God. You know, almost sounds like Handel's Messiah, right? You can almost hear it. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That would have been enough to make a dull and boring night something to remember. But they weren't satisfied. Hey, man, the, the reason that they should go downtown and see what all the fuss was about, because, wow, what, what do these angels just tell us? And so they decided to go down. And when they did, they found something amazing. The best part of their story was seeing the baby and his mother and Joseph. It was such a thrilling moment. It was truly a gift. How many of you have ever been invited to attend sort of a once-in-a-lifetime thing with somebody? Anybody here? Anybody invite you to a sporting event? Somebody says, hey, I got tickets. Would you, would you like to go? You felt blessed. Do you think these shepherds felt blessed to be invited to a once-in-a-lifetime event? A, an event that only God knew when it was going to happen. I would say they felt blessed. God had gifted them and the shepherd's narrative ends like this in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They truly felt blessed. But they weren't the only ones to feel blessed because of Jesus' birth. There was also an old man of faith who was given a gift as well. So let's think about the gift for Simeon. To see the consolation of Israel before his death. On the eighth day of Jesus' life, Joseph and Mary took him over to the temple to be blessed, circumcised. The temple wasn't that far away from Bethlehem. We have to understand, you know, where Jerusalem was and where Bethlehem was. Not a very long trip at all. But while he was there, God took the opportunity to bless this old man. Uh, this is the only place in all of Scripture that Simeon is mentioned. We don't really know how old he was at the time or even how much longer he would live after he saw Jesus. But I do believe that seeing Jesus was the best part of that old man's life. Let's read beginning in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a powerful moment for Mary and Joseph. You know, after all that they'd been through and coming into the temple and now God is revealing stuff to other people. Once again, someone was just doing what they normally do. Simeon went to the temple like he normally would. He had been waiting a long time for the consolation or redemption of Israel. This has some messianic flavor to it. He believed in Messiah. And God had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw Messiah. And God spared him long enough to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of those prophecies. In fact, God directed him to be in the right place at the right time. Notice in the text, it says that the Spirit moved him to go into the temple when he did. And then God made him a prophet as well. It's believed Simeon was a priest serving in the temple. That would explain why he would pick up the child in his arms and bless the child. And when he helped, uh, or when he helped up the child, God directed him to speak about the child. There's no way that he would have said what he said without the Holy Spirit directing him. He not only spoke of the consolation of Israel, but he also spoke of the salvation of the Gentiles as well. This was God's plan. And he prophesied concerning the end of Jesus' life when he told Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now let me ask you, do you believe this old man Simeon felt blessed on that day? How many of you believe he felt blessed? Oh, absolutely. God gave him a gift to be in the right place at the right time. But there's one more gift God handed out that day. A gift for an old lady named Anna. After all those years of serving God, she was finally able to see the Messiah. Like Simeon, Anna had been a faithful servant of the Lord. Friends, God is faithful to those who are his faithful servants. Would you agree? 
So let's go to verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So the scripture calls Anna a prophet. She was 84 years old at the time, but we don't really know how old she was when her husband passed away. Um, but she never left the temple after that. She was there every day. I'm sure everybody that came to worship in the temple knew Anna. You know, It's like you walk in the door and you, you know the folks that are there. I'm sure she was prompted by God to come up when she did. But she too proclaimed publicly that this child was special. She gave thanks to God. And just a side note here, in about 33 years, Jesus was going to be back in that same temple, fulfilling the words of both Simeon and Anna. Do you think Anna felt blessed that day? Oh yes, friends, she had been given a gift. She was able to see in her lifetime the promise of God come true in the form of this baby. In fact, each person we've mentioned today was blessed in some way. And isn't that what a gift is meant to do? To bless the giver and the receiver? Friends, the greatest gift God gave to them and God has given to all of us is actually mentioned earlier in the text. When the angel was speaking to the shepherds and the angel said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. Friends, a Savior has been born to you. He is for all the people. He didn't come into the world just for the Jewish people. He didn't come just for his own family. He didn't come just for the good folks. He didn't come just for perfect people. He didn't come just for Mary or the Magi or the shepherds or Simeon or Anna. He came for the entire world. He came for you. And this is his gift to you. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to deserve it. He sent you a gift. He gave you his son. And in John 3, 14 through 16, we read, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friend, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is the best part of the story. That gift is better than any gift 
that any human being can ever give you or that you will ever receive. What have you done with the gift? Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus, the greatest gift ever given to us. Thank you for your mercy and grace, your great love that caused you to come up with this plan so that our sins could be redeemed and we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for your word which inspires us with these stories of common, everyday, normal people who were blessed to see Jesus face to face. May we recognize those blessings and be willing to share them with others. May we not lose our perspective at Christmas. May we not think this is all about the gifts that we will receive from people. But help us to focus on the real gift that we got from you. And one day, those who accept that gift will once again see Jesus face to face. What a gift. What a blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.